0: Hi there, listener. I'm Nina, and you're listening to Bulbshare's Co-Creation Sessions, your resource for all things brand advocacy, current trends, and customer insights. At the Co-Creation Sessions, we're keeping our finger on the pulse of consumer behavior and delivering those insights straight into your ears. So stay tuned for another great session. Hello and welcome to today's session, Generative AI and its impact on the market research industry. If you have so much as scrolled through LinkedIn recently, you may well know about ChatGPT and the fact it is just taking the world by storm. Um, There's a complete frenzy of energy going on at the minute around this subject with as much fear as there is excitement. Everyone's trying to grapple with what generative AI will mean for their career, for technological advancements, for their industry, for schools, for communities and much, much more. Um, But today we want to set any fear and panic aside And now the dust has settled slightly, we can have a good discussion about what generative AI will actually mean for market research. And stay tuned till the end as well, if you can, because we have a real world example to share of what it could look like. Um, Today, we're joined by an absolutely fantastic panel, including Premier Foods, Senior Insight Manager, Sibs, Smarter AI CEO, Fran, Bolshev Senior Research Manager, MAMTA, and Bolshe's head of product, Quan. So, hello everyone, very happy to have you all here today. Um, before we get going, just quickly introducing Bolshe to anyone that doesn't know. Uh, Bolshe puts customer voice at the heart of brands for insight, innovation, content, and advocacy. driving having thousands of real time responses from our global communities every day, we help the brands we work with create products, services, content, and campaigns with better market fit and more cut through with modern audiences. All right then. Let's get into it, shall we? Um, To launch today's session properly, I think there's a big question we need to answer, and it's what is generative AI? Um, And this is where Fran comes in. Fran, it's great to have you here today. Um,
1: Thanks, Nina. Analytical
0: AI is widely used already in research, but today I'd love to know from you uh, how generative AI can be wielded. So can you explain to us the difference between generative AI and analytical AI?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, thanks so much for the invitation, and the opportunity, Nina. Um, I'm CEO of Smarter AI. Uh, what we do is we enable AI for everybody. So we're about putting these uh, models and the power of this technology at everybody's fingertips in business, not just the technical users. Um, and it's a real game changer. I'm sure everybody in the audience here has heard about Generative. They've heard of ChatGPT. I'm sure we've all used it. We've seen use cases and thought about that in our business. And Generative really is a new technology that just builds on the power of all the content of the internet, including text, images, and audio data. And the buzz is really around the fact that we now have this incredible simple user interface for creating high-quality content, high-quality graphics and video in seconds. And this didn't exist to the normal user even a couple of months ago. So it's a real game changer. And you asked about analytical AI and the difference between the two. I think that what AI has traditionally done over the last 30, 40 years has been about recognizing patterns and classifying data. And it's really been in the the remit of data scientists and AI specialists who've been able to use that to create new data based on those patterns, based on existing data. But the game changer now for generative AI is very much that this is focused on creating new data. So it uses all the data that it has found and learned and trained on, which in essence is the broader Internet. And it creates new data on the back of that. And it's a technique called unsupervised learning, where the model isn't given data that it understands before you start working on it, but it can actually generate new data that's similar to the data it was trained on. And that's what we all get very excited about, because it can create stories, it can create blogs, it can create videos and images that in the past have taken us hours, days, even more, and now it can all be done in seconds. So it's a real game changer.
0: Yeah, so exciting. And am I right in saying it uses large language models to generate answers to prompts? Is that how you describe it?
1: Yeah, 100 percent. Large language models are a very specific type of AI and they're trained on the vast lexicon of text data and data around on the Internet to create these coherent and realistic answers to our questions.
0: And I think when we talked about this previously, I I was saying the way I wrap my head around it is. If you think of something like predictive text, it's a very simple version of what's going on, Mm -hmm. uh, using hugely educated guesses to anticipate the next uh, digit or word or piece of information and sort of recognising those patterns. Um, And Fran, the obvious example of this, as you said, is ChatGPT. And we've all seen ChatGPT. Um, I imagine everyone in the audience has had a little play around with it and had a go at it, as long as they haven't uh, met that sim, that sign where it says that capacity. Um, so can you explain what ChatGPT specifically is, but also what we might be able to expect from GPT-4? Because I, I'm conscious of this discussion, uh, everything could change in a matter of months when GPT-4 comes out.
1: Yeah, that's a great, great question, Nina. I think we We've all been hit by the power of GPT-3 um, because, of course, there there were generative pre-trained transformer models before this. Uh, there was obviously one and two, which really didn't get into the public lexicon. Uh, but what's happened with the advent of new technologies and certain new uh, techniques that are used, uh, the use of transformers, which really came out of understanding how search and translation work uh, that's enabled a massive step change, which has put this product that previously was very much used by a specialist group of people right in the the heart of what we're doing in society. And I think you you can see the speed that that change has happened. I think to get to a hundred million users um, I th- sorry, to get to a million users, I believe Netflix was about four years. I think Microsoft, um in fact, Facebook took less than a year. And ChatGPT was a l- roughly four days to get to wow. a million users. So the wow. speed of change, the impact on all of our businesses on society is unprecedented, and uh, and also in in every corner of our societies, so from schools to education and uh, the what's happening in health, uh, a variety of different things we can talk about, um, and that really has changed the whole conversation. So ChatGPT enables us to do things that in the past uh, we were simply not able to do, and we're able to do them much, much quicker. Uh, And there's talk that ChatGPT will be faster. It'll help coders to code faster. It'll help people to write content better. The music will be better, and the videos will be uh, higher quality. That's going to come for sure when you when you watch the speed of change, but uh, and there's also talk that actually Bing may be powered by a version of Chat GPT already, Chat GPT four. Now whether that's true or not, we don't know. But I think, as you say, Nina, the key thing here is that each one of these models, whether it's from OpenAI or from other uh, providers of these services, uh, they just keep getting better. And the speed of that change continues to improve. So I think uh, what we have now is something that truly is a game changer in almost every corner of society, and that will only continue to improve and to, to change. And obviously, that does bring up both uh, positives and negatives that we need to be aware of, both as individuals, uh, as people. Workers in businesses and as broader society, there's a lot of questions it raises.
0: Absolutely, I love what you said about um, AI and generative AI. You might think of it as something that is only available to real specialists, but it's become so much more accessible. It's so true mm. that everyone has got access to it now. Um, and, Fran, Chat GPT is one example of this. Um, And you mentioned it, uh, that there are plenty of other tools out there as well, Um, and I think a lot of people would jump to thinking about copy generation, sort of writing generation, a lot of people might use the example of something like, um, you know, ChatGPT, can you write me a rap in the style of William Shakespeare or something, Mm. but there it's so much more out there that's possible. Um, so what other engines and tools are out there and what other outputs can we get from generative AI beyond just those kind of simple copy-based responses?
1: Mm, you're, you're absolutely right, Nina. It's It impacts everything. And I, I think a really good example is uh, my children are teenagers and within a matter of a couple of months, almost no child in schools in the West will be unaware of chat gpt and the ability to create essays homework the work that they need to do and the impact of this is phenomenal so we're we're seeing that teachers are having to learn to teach differently Uh, exam boards and schools are going to have to react in a way that they never have because children will not be using the old skills, they will have to learn new skills to analyze and to look creatively and critically at data that is being produced by these sorts of models. And I think, as you say, it's not just OpenAI's chat, GPT-3, you've got Google's BERT, you've got other very, very good models out there, Hugging uh, hugging Face has got some really good models um, in the text domain. And of course, now what we're seeing is the implementation of applications that go across different sectors and and different types of data. So you can use a text prompt to create an image or a video or music. Um, One of my, one of my developers in my team is a big fan of uh, heavy metal music. So he listens to a constant stream of AI generated heavy metal music that never stops. And he'll have it on in the background all the time. And he loves it. It would, it would, do my head in after (laughs) 10 minutes but uh, the the potential and the possibility across as you say text images video audio the ability to code so github's uh, copilot is a really good example of how these technologies are now enabling coders to uh, to access code much much faster and that will only increase over time i think we'll start to see coders become more like Project managers, in terms of how they manage the development of their own uh, code and their own projects, because they won't need to do all. Y- you may want to think of it as manual labour. The a lot of the work that they will have done will be taken over by these kind of technologies, and uh, the 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 possibilities are are endless. And I think it's really important to remember that ChatGPT is just a very prominent, very Um, extraordinary game changer at this point. But there are many other models out there. I think just in the last couple of days, Elon Musk, who of course was one of the founders of OpenAI, um, is now putting a team together to create another version of it. And that's just one example. So I think that will increase opportunity for all of us in terms of choices. And I don't see that we're moving towards a future where there will be one Uber model i think we will have focus we will have differentiation and we will have great opportunity as these technologies become more embedded in in all our our lives and our businesses and our societies
0: that's fascinating and i really enjoyed what you're saying about um schools and i think a lot of us might initially resist um, hearing about the idea of it being used in schools and things like that in mm-hmm. the same way uh, we might initially uh, roll against it when we're thinking about how it applies to our jobs but when you start thinking about the opportunities rather than the sort of restrictions around it, and mm-hmm. I suppose it's just the same as a calculator being used in maths it's, it's about how we now introduce new challenges um, in that respect and and um reshape our thinking to be more analytical to work out is the data that we're being provided um, uh, useful is it is it truthful and we've talked about school but sort of what industries are going to be impacted by generative AI do you think
1: Um, well uh, what industry won't uh, (laughs) everyone every everything I think we're seeing it already a lot of industries already uh, have embraced Uh, chat gpt at an incredible level so some of the the opportunities for finding local restaurants but also finding opportunities to actually cook particular recipes are being integrated in some of the 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 big um, online uh, food shopping sites you've got uh, all sorts of opportunities around certainly in healthcare so the potential for patients to have much more accurate diagnoses, personalized treatment plans. Plans um, So patient health is huge in that respect. Um, and in terms of all, all aspects of retail, um, finance, so the ability to improve risk management fraud detection, um, investment decisions in finance, all these areas will be fundamentally transformed with these technologies. And um, it, it's really going to be, I think we're at a stage where we will see businesses change very, very quickly, and it will be not a lack of opportunity, but a lack of creativity, which holds companies back at this point. The, the opportunities are, are significant.
0: Absolutely. When we talked recently, there was a really brilliant example you gave as well about um, clothing companies generating, uh, you know, customers can generate something and ask um, the brand to make it on their behalf using generative AI. And uh, I love what you say about the need for creativity here. I think
1: Mm. that's that's
0: essential. It's such a huge tool at our disposal now. It's a Um, great
1: example. And it also flows through. Uh, So, The the example you mentioned, which we have for for one of our customers, is the ability to identify images that customers are creating. And then because they've used AI on their whole uh, inventory, they're able to then recommend very, very specific products that match exactly what the customer has said that they want. Um, and that of course then goes the kick can can enable much better engagement with it, it's very much in the line of personalizing in the way that Nike enables you to design your own shoes. You can now almost design your own clothes with a matching engine that AI drives. There's a, there's lots of opportunities like that.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, one industry we completely believe will be impacted by generative AI is market research. Um, there's opportunities mm-hmm. to make it more insightful, more conversational, quicker, easier, it's huge. Um, so I want to break this down into three buckets of how generative AI could help research. So Bulgshare's identified three potential breakthrough areas, which are scalability, depth and conversational research. Um, so Mapta and Sibs, it's lovely to have you here today. Um, I want to come to you guys and ask about the sort of possibilities for market research when it comes to scalability. Um, so can generative AI help improve scale and size of research finding findings, um, for instance? So Mamta, can I come to you first on
2: this one? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Nina. Um, I think Fran alluded to a lot about scalability, about size. Um, and he even mentioned this, this statement that the possibilities are endless, but really they are. Um, If you think about scalability, definition of scalability, ability to operate at size and speed, but not just size and speed, complexity as well, then AI is right up there in the scalability ranks. Um, One of the many benefits of AI is its ability to not only analyze these huge volumes of data in a matter of seconds, which Fran gave lots of stories about, but also depending on how the machine was taught, um, complex research tasks can also come into play. So yes, to answer your question, Nina, um, scale, size, definitely come into play, but so does complexity of research projects. As we get more and more intelligent AI coming into play, more and more humans feeding into the AI, um, complexity coming, comes into play just as much as scale and size of research findings.
3: Definitely. steps. Yeah, I'd, I would fully 100% agree. I think one of the, the most exciting things for me is that the, the kind of, step change in the quality of thinking um, that goes into things like research briefs and um, knowing specifically what it is that you actually want to get at um, before kind of commissioning any form of research. I think one of the banes of a researcher's life, I mean, we all know the research process, right? You start with, you know, what do I already know? Um, And then you go to, okay, well, is there a genuine gap here? Do I want to fill it, et cetera, et cetera. And actually from a practical kind of applied research perspective, we tend to fall at that first hurdle of like, do I know, do I, has this already been answered before? And I think that is a real kind of game changer in terms of going, okay, well then the difference that I want to know is X rather than Y as opposed to starting from scratch absolutely every time. Um, So it it really step changes what your organization looks like then, because you're starting from a position of knowledge, um, which is something that was banded around, you know, a good few years ago, like, you know, knowledge environments, knowledge um, uh, organizations. Now this really facilitates that. So you're not always starting from scratch every time with research. So, you know, huge practical um, applications, I reckon, there as well.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I love that idea about pulling from your existing resources using using (laughs) AI. And I guess there's an idea around um, the automation of the the more everyday mundane tasks to free up researcher time as well. That's surely got to help with the sort of scale of uh, what you're working on as well. but also giving you more time to sort of analyze as well. So how can uh, generative AI potentially improve the depth of insight? Um, Mamta, should we come to you, then go to Sibs?
2: Okay, cool. Yeah. So depth of insight. Um, My thinking is that AI, as it stands now, and it's very quickly improving and getting better and better at teaching itself and learning, but for now, I reckon that it can only get you as far as the glass ceiling when it comes to depth of insight. Humans are still needed to break through that ceiling in order to really transform that data into truly distinct, meaningful, relevant insights. So yes, using AI for market research, it's It's a magical ingredient, really, to help you navigate all this wonderful data. But at this stage, I reckon that AI is very much a helper and shouldn't be in charge of analysis. Solid research principles and expertise, research expertise, they still need to be in place. And analysis should always be rooted in human understanding and challenge. So, yes, as much as AI can help you to do all of those mundane tasks, free you up, it's absolutely imperative that the human remains at the, at the center of really bringing those nuggets and insights to life.
3: Yeah, fully. Um, I think it's, it's that thing of like, well, someone still needs to guide um, what this means for me from a strategy perspective. Right. And that's the, that's where as insights managers, where we add value, or at least that's where we strive to add value. Right. So like, what does this mean for the business question? Um, And, and whilst I, I agree with you in the sense that whilst it was generative ai right now helps me make sense of things for me i would you still need somebody to make things make sense for the business um and that's the whole the whole point of having insight specialists right um so helping the business to understand consumers as well so it's never going to delete that need for genuine kind of human understanding but i think one of the other things that excites me about this is kind of this notion around hypothesis generation as well. So having used it myself a, a couple of times, I kind of think, agree 90% of the time I'd have thought of those things, but there's always that one or two things that it, it, it kind of makes me go, oh, hang on, that's actually very curious. I hadn't actually thought about that. Um, so it's very good if used in the right way to kind of uh, provoke, you know, more kind of hypotheses, or like just a little bit, you know, better thinking, um, mm-hmm. or wider thinking. So it allowed me, at, at least, to kind of get out of my own stupid head of like, well, obviously I've I, I'll have known that, but I wouldn't have thought about that actually. So that's mm-hmm. very curious. Um, and yeah, the 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 thing around the kind of its predictive ability um, and the ability to kind of sense check scenarios. There's nothing worse than kind of going oh, I wonder if X and having no way to kind of sense check that without paying for it in research, that to me is is an exciting area as well around, how can I just sense check some of my hypotheses? Um, What will happen if? Um, So yeah, many ways that even today in its current form, you can begin to kind of get into that practice, but will it replace the researcher? And what does it therefore mean human understanding? Probably not, not just yet.
0: Absolutely, and that's, I think that's something we'll touch upon later when we're talking about the sort of limitations around it, absolutely. Um, and going back to the slightly more exciting sort of um, wild possibilities with it, one thing that really excites me, at least, is um, the possibility of improving user experience in research and the sort of participants' experience. So um, an idea I was thinking about was could we have a video-generated AI moderator, um who's asking the questions in surveys for instance, making research feel more personal and more fun. Um, Sibs, do you do you have any ideas around the sort of the scope for making research more conversational in that respect?
3: Yeah, and I think this is probably one of the endless possibilities because once you once you kind of sort that out, the kind of style at which we gather human understanding almost from like a data um perspective, then it allows you to, to really be able to retro understand what's going on at the kind of mental level by each kind of individual. So you'll only get from that much better insights, like so much better insights. And, and that's something that I think I'm excited about because from a um, from someone who then takes research and, and strategically applies research, it really means that we're step changing the game in terms of our understanding of how, what's going on in people's heads, you know? A survey is almost um, limited by its inability to be able to flex around, well, this person said that, they th- then let's probe on this. You almost have to predict everything that's going into a survey, even focus groups are, to an extent. You know, the, the moderator might be really good at flexing, but even that lies, um, you know, in the skill of the moderator. So So to be able to get that level of flex that's almost at the individual level, and then take that and synthesize it to a story, game-changing, and that's something I think um, you know that can happen pretty immediately. So I get very excited about that because what it means from um, you know from a, how do I implement again against this when I'm thinking things like innovation, how do I frame the consumer problem? much better quality of understanding of going this is how consumers talk about this problem here's what it means and here's what my guidance is in terms of what to do with it um right now we spend a lot of time trying to frame and reframe the problem simply because the, the tools don't exist that give us that at speed and in an efficient way as well so that that's probably one of the kind of curious and very exciting parts of this mm-hmm.
0: yeah And I love what you said about the ability to sort of probe further because you can use branch logic, but it could just be making that so much more nuanced based on the sort of sentiments being expressed. And um, yeah, so much. And that's
3: the thing that makes the strategic difference nowadays, Nina, isn't it? There's very little in it. So, so what you learn in that kind of last 10% of where the nuance sits, um, that's the bit we're trying to get into from a human psychology perspective. So, that's the game changer.
0: Yeah, really exciting. Um, and from a sort of practical point of view, I'd love for you both to really delve into your day-to-day, your routines, your to-do lists. What practical applications can you see generative AI having on your daily tasks? Anything from you know desk research, research proposals, reports, anything like that, what are the opportunities there? Um, uh, Sibs, do you want to jump in?
3: I'm, I may as well, sorry. I'm, <laughs> no. I may as well since I'm unmuted. Um, things that really excite me it's almost like having a, a librarian so that shaving off the time of what's been done before therefore here is my research question that to me is like um game changer because we spend a lot of time trying to synthesize kind of old things um that have you know what's been done what matters now um so synthesis automation that's that's really exciting i think a lot of the time you kind of want to know similar things just in a different lens to be able to kind of expedite that and just automate that in, in a in a way that's still kind of intuitive and will get you the quality of insights that you need. Um, that will change the game almost immediately. Um, I think also, and probably one that we we don't consider as, as as much as we probably could is when I think about kind of starter you know people who are starting in the research um, industry so at the kind of entry level um, and and this is really where we're going to see the uptake of this this kind of technology um, How are you better able to quickly get them up to speed in terms of thinking and um, kind of thinking as a researcher or an applied researcher in a sense? Um, and I've seen this historically in my career where you've got to almost start from scratch of like teaching people, kind of hand-holding. This really enables people to kind of, um, particularly those entry guys that are like, you know, starting out in the field, it enables them to almost kind of learn how this works in their at their own pace, in their own way. It's so user-friendly. Um, and then what you're left with is to kind of guide and mentor rather than, you know, New starter, now we've got to start from scratch, starting everything again. So, so yeah, and this all of this, I, can, I think, need to ladders us up to that knowledge organization that has been the goal of many organizations. It's like we start from a position of we know our consumer, and then we go from, you know, then then the rest is just that 10% of what it means for my business, my brand, and what I'm going to do about it. Um, so really kind of even day-to-day adding value as an, as an insights manager there.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much. Mamta, would you agree? Yeah, uh, with all of that, but I'm going to bring a little bit of the research supplier perspective in now coming in from Bulbshire side. Um, But yes, all of that. And what can we do from a research supplier side to help support our clients like subs and Premier Foods? And so from research supplier point of view, there are a few examples that I can that I can think of. And I think they've been mentioned already by sub. So for sure, desk research, Nina, you've mentioned it already. AI would be a giant time saver when it comes to desk research because that can take hours of research at time trolling through all of that data. Fran spoke about it up front as well. And still, these AI summaries that are generated, they can still be strategically and meaningfully used and interpreted by the researcher to suit whatever purpose they need it for. Another example, survey tools. Yes, we we are constantly developing templates, so on and so forth, but AI can definitely help to draft up some of these survey tools based on a core intelligent creative set of questions that you ask it. So again, what AI is doing is it's creating this massive time-saving springboard that researchers can jump off from. So it's setting the groundwork, it's helping save the researcher time. Um, I've seen a whole bunch of AI offerings that also help you to join meetings with a virtual note taker so you don't have to sit there desperately trying to capture notes you can focus on listening and engaging in the strategic conversation so AI I keep going back to this idea of it's a helper it's a partner it's there to make my life easier it's perspective everything is perspective really Um, but one of the really creative ideas that I like coming from research side is What about segmentation study, for example, where we want to really bring to life different groups of people? AI can be very creatively used to generate almost consumer portraits of videos of people who are defined in a certain way. So there's AI coming into play again in a very creative way. Nina, you mentioned moderators as well. Um, I think one of the big market research benefits I can see um, um, around how AI can deliver super hyper-personalized experience is through moderators. Um, Quote, unquote, a human moderator that perfectly matches the profile of the people she's talking to. People feel more free. They feel more confident to open up to people who look like them, who sound like them, who behave like them. So AI can for sure, into Fran's words, creatively be used to make our lives a lot easier day to day for sure
3: mm.
0: that's so exciting yeah so promising thank you so much yeah. Manta. and I mean that's some really exciting opportunities but what about the sort of the drawbacks I suppose so I think firstly everyone's initial reaction to these strides in um generative AI was fear panic maybe a bit of hysteria it's hard to not get wrapped up in that sort of frenzy of working out what's this going to mean for my career uh, what does it mean for jobs um and i've even seen some articles sort of backing around around um chat gpt saying it wants to break free and take over i mean i think this is just clickbait i think it's where someone's put in a prompt that says you know describe how chat gpt is trying to take over um but these kind of conversations are happening and they they can cause worry so um you know, MAMTA and Sibs, do you have any words of reassurance for any researcher out there worried about if this could threaten their career? Or do you think those concerns are valid? Um, MAMTA, I know you had a really
2: nice line that you shared on this recently on LinkedIn as well. Yes, yes. Um, So I'm uh, like a through and through Kuali, born and bred, super passionate about qualitative research. So my whole background has been about manually reading transcripts and listening to people through the mirror in a focus group, all of that manual work, you know, and I I had a passion for it. I love doing that. Like it made me feel like I'm close to these consumers and I'm really getting into their hearts and minds. So of course I was one of those people. My first reaction, Nina, was, oh no, the machines are taking over. (laughs) But Thanks to Bulbshare and my, I would like to say, AI-infused day-to-day job here at Bulbshare. Plus this really great quote that you referenced um, that I came across recently that, that really made me realize, and I mentioned this earlier, that perspective is everything. And here's the quote, AI will not replace you, A person who's using AI will replace you. So yes, Mm -hmm. the threat may have been there. AI is going to take over the job. But it's people who are using AI, who are leveraging the strengths of AI, um, who are ultimately the threat. So back to my point, AI should really be augmenting human intelligence, not replacing it. So... It's about figuring out how to work with AI and not against them. It's about figuring out how to be friends with the machines and not enemies. Um, it's all about how you look at it, really, threats or opportunity. For me, it's a partner, as I've mentioned. It really helps perform this amazing research wizardry, honestly. And I, and I go back to the metaphor, wizard, wand. What's a wizard without his wand? Neither of them can function without the other. I feel there's a very symbiotic relationship that needs to happen there.
0: Yeah. Love that I love that idea That as a helper or as a magician's wand that's a really nice way of putting it actually <laughs> yeah I was um I was discussing something a bit similar in a previous webinar which I can share the link to with um, the CEO of the Market Research Society Jane and she was talking about sort of how do you uh, maintain things like speed and quality simultaneously how do you let Um, make sure you know speed and scale doesn't sacrifice quality and she was saying it's about the importance of keeping human analysis in the mix and um, she mentioned a quote that she said her clients mostly agree with and this is kind of a contentious one it'd be interesting to see what you think but she said it's better to have a thousand data points analyzed by a human than a million analyzed by a machine um which you know we we could go both ways on and things have changed in the last few months so you never know but She also referenced something that was quite interesting and it's about the sort of biases that can be written into these technologies. Um, So the Office for National Statistics apparently has been saying a bit about the importance of lived experience in understanding people. Um, And so her conclusion really was. Uh, tech and AI is such a powerful tool, but we should be relying on multiple baskets um, of techniques rather than ever just relying on one and working out which one fits each situation. And I think that applies quite nicely to what you were saying Mantra, about sort of blending, um, blending it in with the human intelligence as well as the artificial intelligence. So. Um, Sibs what do you think about this how do we keep research human whilst also uh, taking advantage and wielding these new exciting technologies
3: yeah I think careful utility is probably um, the way that I would I would I would put it is that absolutely I I, I think there's certainly something to be said for kind of almost AI determinism um, that's probably one of the biggest kind of watch outs if we're all kind of reading from that same hymn how do you make the same lyrics sound like a different song, um, so so that the human ability to think divergently is always going to be a necessity. I think, um, and and a, and a differentiator, you know, from a win or lose. Um, so I think careful utility is probably what what I would go with there. In that. Utility, yes, because I agree with Mamta that the person who's using AI is more likely to re, um, to, to replace you than, than the, the actual tech itself. Um, we're not, I don't think we're, we're quite going to get there. We're in the game of human understanding. Um, so you're always going to you know, need a human at the heart of that somehow. Um, but we do need to be careful. And I think Fran um, kind of touched on this earlier in that, you know, these things are at kind of novel stage. Um, and and the last thing you want is for that to be the only thing that you rely on. Um, it should encourage critical thinking rather th- uh, and divergent thinking rather than take away from that. Um, mm-hmm. So careful utility is probably my my go to face for that.
0: Yeah and I think a big concern we're seeing is um, bias and of course humans are guilty of bias too but you know we're the ones coding and writing these new technologies Um, and there's plenty of examples at least of analytical AI at this stage uh, being programmed in ways that isn't always going to promote one's interests equally so I recently read uh, a piece by the Guardian about uh, some analytical AI that was used uh, to detect things like nudity in images and it picked up on that far more in pictures of clothed women than of partially addressed men um, so are we going to have similar concerns when it comes to generative AI bias so um yeah Fran we've seen lots of exciting opportunities discussed today but what would you say about the the sort of drawbacks and the issues we're seeing with generative AI in its current form
1: uh, I think you said it well, Nina. We have to be very alert to the fact that these models have been trained on the broader data of the internet, which reflects all of our bias, our prejudice, all the good and the bad of humanity. And we've got to be very uh, open-minded uh, when we're when we're listening to the answers and when we uh, are, are applying our own AI here. I think from the the business arena, it's really interesting to to see how, as you mentioned earlier, you can't just accept an answer from AI and assume that it can be put out there or, or put in front of a customer. So what we do a lot of with with customers is we're actually taking these the answers that come out of these generative models and then we are retraining them in the voice and the tone and increasingly in the morals of individual businesses. I think what that this is what we'll see a lot of where... We don't just take the data that comes out of these models on face value, but we actually have ways of interpreting it for our own customers. So we're we're now able to take data from a customer's um, basket in terms of how their customers engage and understand those customers and generate automatic emails to them that may be them promoting something, encouraging them to do something. And that is done in the tone of voice and the style of the company. And we've done that by taking a new data set from that company and layering it on top of the chat models. And I think we will see this increasingly. And when it comes to the examples that um, both um, Manta and Sibs have been talking about in market research, you've got a lot of ability now to interpret people's emotions Um, to to use AI to layer emotional answers on top of their text-based answers. Uh, One of my team is doing a a big project on um, micro-movements in the face, or facial expressions, and that's another AI that we layer on top of other things that we can do. But even that you can't accept as it is because humans are all so different. Some humans will have a different facial expression when they are not telling the truth to to others. And AI over time will get increasingly intelligent in these things. But as businesses and as researchers and in our responsibilities to use this stuff, we will have to be aware of it um, and make sure that we are we're looking after the interests of our uh, of of the people that we're dealing with in a, a very responsible fashion.
0: That's really really interesting because I was just thinking on a sort of chat GPT level. You know, we've we've heard about it not citing its sources. Sometimes there's inaccuracies. Someone in the chat even just put about the fact that you know it doesn't have information beyond um, I think it's 2021. They said, um, and the idea that you can put in uh, the same prompt multiple times and generate different responses. But mm. as you say. Fran, there are lots of different ways to sort of get around these and um, make it individual and bespoke to the different businesses. Um, yeah, I, I really, I really am excited by that. So um, just before we move on to the final section of the webinar, just a quick question for you, Mamta. Um, What would you advise in terms of transparency when using AI, AI and generative AI? Because is there this uh, expectation to disclose it just like... Um, well, would you disclose it all, if it like any other software? So for instance, you know, a uh, designer using Photoshop. What are the guidelines at this stage,
2: Raptor? <laughs> guidelines, yeah. We're still building them as we go, hey? Um, like Subs <laughs> mentioned, it's very much a novelty. It's moving so quickly. But yes, guidelines are getting built. Personal opinion. I don't necessarily believe there's a need to officially disclose use of AI when delivering reports to clients. Having said that, I've got a client with me on the webinar right now. I should be very careful what I say. (laughs) Jokes aside though, I think, as mentioned multiple times throughout this webinar, humans are key to ensuring that this AI, these outputs from AI, are used with integrity and that they're used with accuracy. The buck has to stop somewhere, right? Franz mentioned, you cannot just take AI and what AI gives you as The answer they'll give you just the answer but they won't give you the truth is what I I believe Fran mentioned And, and I think there's a lot of weight in that so the buck's got to stop somewhere especially when it comes to market research and it has to be with humans so as long as market researchers use AI data meaningfully they integrate it into reports intelligently and they take accountability for the final deliverable to their clients then I reckon the AI input should matter less than the human output
0: Amazing. Thank you so much, Rampsha. It's a really interesting response. Um so well, the final section of today's webinar is to look at a real-world example of what generative AI could mean for research. Um so before I pass on to Juan, who's been in wait for his section, sorry Juan, um who's going to explain this fully, I just want to set the tone for how promising this prototype is, in my opinion. Um so picture this. Paris, the Bulbshare team, 48 hours. Um, in just two days, the Bulbshare tech and product team assisted by some amazing and passionate clients of ours identified a challenge in research that could be solved by Generative AI. Um, so. It fast forward a few hours and they've made a solution which is uh, generative AI integrated into the control panel to help you build surveys in no time. So having met at 10am on Thursday, they had a proof of concept by 3pm on Friday, which is really exciting. Um, so Quan, I think you're much better place to explain this than I am, given you were there. I've got a bit of FOMO. <laughs> Can you tell us how the day went?
4: Yeah, thanks Nina. So I think that before we we start on the actual hackathon, I would like to tell a little bit more about the journey that Vulture had with AI in the past. So AI has been present on everything that we do for a very long time. We've been using AI to analyze images, to transcription of participant audio responses, look into translations because we operate like globally. We have also been doing like some facial coding, video analysis, et cetera, that leverage Kind of like the power of technology and make it accessible to clients to, to perform more sufficient research and essentially get better outputs. Once we started looking at the landscape for generative AI, we got really, really excited. We saw the recent developments that were happening on this, on this technology, and we thought that it was a great opportunity for us to, to jump on the same on the same boat and start thinking about how we could be using generative AI in, in the Vulture platform. So, the first thing that we did was to to look at at our roadmap, so our source of truth for for product development. We were looking at what initiatives we already had in our pipeline and start thinking on how we could be using generative AI to to leverage or to essentially improve what we were currently planning and try to to think differently and outside the box uh, and implement something that it was going to be changing the way that we we normally operate. So in order to enable that that innovation to happen, we didn't want to follow our traditional models where we go, we plan a feature, we map it out. We start thinking about the user journeys. We wanted to do something a bit more more agile and more dynamic because we knew that the landscape was changing like very, very rapidly. So we went about doing a hackathon in a bit of an unusual fashion because we didn't involve like multiple teams. It was just essentially our team together with different client stakeholders that help us during the journey. So what we did was to to set up a a location to bring everyone into into that location, developers, UX, business partners, and essentially start thinking about the core challenges that we identified from our roadmap that we wanted to be developing. So we had like three initial candidates that we wanted to be doing. So the first one was like using generative AI to to create like a studies much faster into our platform so essentially drive efficiencies about how we can be producing a research design much quicker, how we can make it more engaging and essentially more accessible to, to anyone that really jumps into our control panel. So one of the beauties of the AI is that you don't have to be an expert to use it. You just need to use the right prompt and then essentially it does the heavy lifting for, for you on your behalf. So you don't have to be a researcher, but I can go um, insert some text, and I can get like a proper study being being developed. So, so that's a great opportunity. Then the other area that we wanted to be looking at It was around how we can tap into all of the internet knowledge, all of those, all of that data that is training uh, those AI models, and essentially produce some initial uh, outputs that will keep our researchers thinking about it. And the final one, it was that conversational research, like how we can uh, improve the way that we collaborate with our users, collaborate with our communities, and make that experience a bit more more tailored and more, more suitable for them. So essentially, those were our three candidates, and we started doing some some initial research. And we thought that uh, potentially the area about the speeding up the process will benefit like immensely, like our client partners, but also our internal team. So we went with that mission in our head, but we also wanted to do some initial discovery and research about what could be possible on the other two on the other two initiatives. So first of all, once we got like that, it reduces scope, and once we knew what we wanted to accomplish essentially we started uh, developing our first uh, proof of concept. So we started using the the AI as a way to to extract what is the key message from from the core business challenge that that our client partners will have. And then on the basis of that, with those keywords in mind, like try to generate a study life uh, to be able to put out to our communities. So it's it's very interesting what Fran was saying about like okay, coders are also using some some of this technology to, to speed up their workflow. And it was like precisely some of the things that it was being tried at the at the time while we were developing. Like we we had some, some JSON files that needed to be optimized and we while coding and seeing that the outputs were in great, we were trying to optimize it by using AI. So we were asking the same OpenAI to optimize the output that it was already giving us. So it was kind of like looping the AI, trying to do the hard work for for us and try to to keep as efficient as possible the, the, the process. So we also got engaged, like the business partners in in different ways. So we we had like a group that it was very much focused about the the right prompt that you need to be giving to the AI to to produce your desired outcome. So in this case, we were using the OpenAI API for, for powering this engine, but right now we are looking into uh, using the chat GPT API that is being recently made available for, for the general public so we'll be able to tap into that and right now we are also in conversations with open AI to get access to the latest alpha so. So we are like very rapidly seeing that things are changing but essentially one of the groups was looking at the at the prompts and then the other group was more about the, the blue sky thinking what else we could be doing so there was a very interesting scenario where we where we thought about a. Uh, allowing the user to take control of the research and essentially ask the questions and get a product being developed that the research will happen more on the observational space, rather than actually us ask, asking the question, the, the participant is the one that is tailoring their, their experience and us by observing are able to extract all of the insights. So, so we wanted to keep the conversation open and in the background, do all of the work that, that we had planned for for our first proof of concept.
0: Amazing yeah I love what you were saying earlier about um, answering those different sort of challenges in um, research it it goes back to what Sibs was saying like something like what we're about to show you know could be really useful for um, newcomers into research you know uh, people training in research but yeah not lots to lots to get excited about so I'm going to quickly play this uh, video which showcases uh, a sort of early uh, look into what's possible, and Juan, maybe you could talk us through a bit about what's going on.
4: Yeah, so essentially, what you see in the screen is the proof of concept that we've developed, like using the OpenAI API. So. What you can see in there is that essentially we are putting like a sentence or a couple of sentences that will essentially be your key business challenge or what you really are questioning and what you want the AI to help you with. And essentially on the back of those two sentences, we are coming up with a research design that answer actually that business challenge. So obviously we know about all of the limitations that the AI has, that it doesn't replace the human, it doesn't replace the researcher. And we wanted to make it like, so you can customize everything like once you are doing that initial request. So all of the, the images that you see in there taken uh, from the keywords, all of the different questions, the options, et cetera, you can custom tailor them as you go on the on the, on the the website. So you're able to see that you have a sort description that introduces your brief that is uh, essentially using your key business challenge as a way to formulate that, but you also can see all of the different questions that get generated with all of the options, etc. We've also used uh, the DALI API that is also provided by OpenAI to generate images for topics that weren't really, really easily accessible to, to get some images uh, from, from the general like websites, like copyright-free imagery. So we, we use the, the DALI To be able to generate some of the images and also we overlapped it with some of the existing sources for images that are the most popular ones to be able to produce. An experience that it will generate images, but also it will allow you to have like a full gallery to make your your content more more exciting so in terms of a the benefits for, for the researchers and also for the people that are not so familiar with the research is like the, the speed in which you will be able to create those studies. So it will revolutionize the way that you will be creating content in our platform because you will have like a, a basic framework that you can build upon. And also we are looking into implementing chat GPT API to be able to iterate those studies. So one of the most powerful things that we've identified is that you can be training or refining those initial outputs. So even though you have like a a very basic structure, if you see something that you don't like, so for example, I would like to have more open-ended questions, or I would like to have a question that asks participants to record a video, we can modify the research without you actually thinking about how do I configure it in the best way? How do I come up with the best questions? And essentially your survey will be custom tailored to, to what you really want. So so that is like very exciting opportunities that we could be taking for for this proof of concept and taking it forward. But, but yeah, this is what we what we've managed to achieve in those few hours that that we've spent uh looking into into what was even possible.
0: Yeah, and um we're running really close on time because obviously there's so much to talk about here today. But Juan, quickly what's next if this is what's possible in just a few hours uh, what's the future of generative ai and research tech and is there any any kind of hints from bulbshare that you can share
4: so so yeah i think that there is like a lot of different opportunities as we said like there is the conversational research that excites me like a lot like we want to custom tailored to to follow up with participants live as they respond those those questions how we can make the experience better but also an opportunity that we really want to to make a An improvement onto is like how do we make sure that the models that we are using are relevant to the people that we are talking to so in Vulture we've been collecting a lot of data from multiple different clients communities across the globe. And we really want to take all of that data and and use it to to power the the insight and essentially our tool we don't want to get the basic. Of what is available on the Internet, we already have tons of data that we could be training our models and essentially producing something that is a bit more bespoke so the objective of the next hackathon or or our next innovation cycle will be actually how we can use all of the voucher data and and make sure that we can get to the insights much quicker and provide you with the studies that you might already have run into the platform and present you with those results, those summaries, and also top it up with other data that may be available on, on the internet and then build towards that journey that we've already started by if you don't have what you need don't worry you can create a study within seconds and then all of that data will feed that feedback the engine so so that's the next the next bit that we want to be that we want to be pursuing and hopefully we can serve our progresses with you very soon
0: absolutely i love that that comes right back to exactly what Sibs was saying earlier about sort of you know why waste the data that's already out there we don't have to start from scratch so that's that's really really promising um so this is just the beginning. I feel like we're on the cusp of so much possibility and I'm so grateful that we've had such an exciting, amazing panel here today to talk this through. So thank you so much to everyone that joined in the audience, but also a big, big thank you to Sibs, Fran, Mamta and Juan for sharing all your thoughts, ideas and wisdom. Thank you so much everyone. Have a lovely day.
3: Thanks everyone. Thanks Nina. Bye. Bye all.
0: Thank you so much for listening, but don't stop there. There is so much more coming from us. Remember to follow and subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts on, and tell your friends too. And while you're at it, why not check out Bulbshare a little more? You can find us on social media, on bulbshare.com,
3: or on email at info@bulbshare.com. Stay tuned for more podcasts packed full of insights.